So we are continuing through this series, Elephants in the Room. And last week we had the sex talk, right? Uh, this week we're having another conversation that's really pretty difficult. You know, an, an elephant in the room is that is that topic that like everybody's thinking about, but no one wants to be the first to say it. No one wants to bring it up because you know maybe it's gonna um, you know it's gonna bring up some emotions or it's gonna bring up some strong opinions. So let me introduce you to this week's topic uh, this way. There was a TV show that was really popular. Um, some of you probably have watched it maybe on reruns. It ran in the 80s. It ran for about 11 years. Um, in fact, the, this show was nominated for uh, 153 Emmys, and it won 61 of them. The show I'm talking about is called M.A.S.H. You remember that one? Okay. So M.A.S.H. had this you know, kind of um, instrumental song that was their their theme song. But you probably have never heard the words to that song. And let me just read to you the one of the one of the parts of the, the this song and then the chorus to this song. The the second the second phrase of this goes something like this. It says, That game of life is hard to play. I'm gonna lose it anyway. The losing card I'll someday lay, so this is all I have to say. Suicide is painless. It brings on many changes. And I can take it or leave it if I please. You didn't know that harmless, <laughs> that harmless little tune that, be, that began that song. Actually, it was talking about suicide. And like so many lyrics of so many songs, <laughs> that is not true. It is not true that suicide is painless. In fact, suicide is, is very painful. It's, par- it's very painful for the, the one who's considering it. It's very painful for friends and family. It's very painful for the survivors. Suicide. Every one of us have, have probably been affected by suicide in some way. Some of us more recently... Uh, some more deeply, but I think everyone could, could think of someone or, or some situation where you've been affected by suicide. I could share with you three or four different stories, but let me share with you one, just one personal story. Um, I had a friend in Syracuse years ago that we worked together. I, I hired him. He was a student at Syracuse University. And we worked together for five years. He worked for me for a long time. And honestly, really, right from the very beginning, we built a, a, a friendship. We weren't just coworkers. It wasn't just a boss and employee. Uh, we were friends. We, we spent some time together outside of work. We would, we would close the store late at night, and we would go hang out at his apartment and play chess and, and have some deep conversations. And we really developed a very close friendship. And when we moved to... Houston, we still, I, we still stayed in touch. And then when we came back to Binghamton, we, we reconnected and, you know, we would get together. And, and, you know, at that time when we were working together, I probably, well, we both probably would consider each other our best friends. But then, you know, over time, obviously, relationships changed. We stayed connected. We were friends, but we weren't probably as tight and, and connected as we were. But on May 16th, 2020, he posted this on his Facebook page. 
He said, you got to let it go. And along with that post, he put a song by a group called Five Finger Death Punch. And then he committed suicide. And just a matter of a few days later, I was officiating his funeral. Now listen, this guy was a lawyer. He was a successful lawyer. In fact, he was a town judge. He had what most people would consider the ideal American dream life. He had, he had a great wife. He had beautiful kids. But yet one day, he decided to end it all. Suicide. It's painful. It's painful for, for those that are left behind. It's painful for everyone. Vic Fuente says this about suicide. Suicide does not end the chances of life getting worse. Suicide eliminates the possibility of, of it ever getting better. Honestly, we don't know what was going through Bill's mind. What what had led him to that decision? It's so hard to look at his life and his circumstances and say, you know, he was trying to escape something, but yet he made that decision. And that decision, whatever that problem, whatever that situation was that he wanted out from, it, just, it didn't just give him an escape from it. It eliminated any possibility of it ever getting better. See, listen, suicide affects everyone. And it doesn't matter if a person's wealthy or if they have a lot of influence. If they're a celebrity, you can look at just the famous people in the last few years. Whether it's Naomi Judd or Robin Williams or Jeffrey Epstein, allegedly. Suicide. Everyone, everyone's been affected by it. Sometimes we're affected by it because it's memories of, of someone in the past. Or, or, or maybe, maybe you're dealing with somebody right now in your life that, that is wrestling with suicidal thoughts. They have a mental health crisis. Or maybe, just maybe, it's you. Listen, the, the world has some very radical and opposite views about this. There are, there are some that argue that suicide is just, it, it's, it's, a, it's a valid choice. It, it's, it's my life. I can do what I want with it. I, can, I, I have the right to end my life whenever, wherever, however I choose. There, there's other people, though, on, on the other end of the extreme, that from a religious perspective, they, they try to make this argument that suicide is, is almost, it's like the unforgivable sin. It's like, if you commit suicide, you have guaranteed an eternity away from God. I would tell you that both of those views are absolutely wrong. Neither one of those views have any biblical support whatsoever. So let's this morning, why don't we take some time to go see what the Bible does say about this. So if you would, join me in 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings 19, page 295 if you're using the Share Bible. And while you're turning there, I just want to welcome those who are watching online and, 
and our friends out at, at Bainbridge and Cincinnatus. We're glad that you're joining us by simulcast this morning. And we're, we're wrestling through a, a, a really challenging subject, one that, one that we don't often talk about very much. But yet the Bible does have things to say about this topic. 1 Kings chapter 19, we're picking up the story of the prophet Elijah. And if you go back in the text, you'll see that Elijah actually just has, has had a great victory. He, he literally created a contest with, with the prophets of Baal. And, and in that contest, the, the, the prophets of Baal tried to do a, a miracle, and they couldn't. And, and Elijah like, even has a sense of humor and, and kind of mocks them a little bit and says, you know, oh, well, maybe, maybe your God is sleeping or maybe he's off on vacation. But then he goes and he does this uh, amazing miracle where he puts the sacrifices on the altar. He, he, pours, he has people pour water all over it. And then God sends down a consuming fire that destroys everything. It, it, it consumes everything. He just came off from this victory. And because of this, he, he actually went through and purged out. He, he tried to eliminate from the country all these prophets of this false god. But yet, here's what happens, in, starting in verse 1. It says, Ahab got home and told Jezebel, the queen, everything that Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Now Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. And then he went out alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree, and prayed that he might die. And here's this conversation with the Lord. He says, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. But now, I want you to see what happens after this. He's struggling. He's, he's, he wants his life to end. And in verse 5, he says, it says that he laid down and he slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. And he looked around and, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water out in the middle of the desert. And so he ate and he drank and he laid down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and, and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to the Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. Now sometimes when we, we look at stories in God's Word and and we see what's happening. Sometimes we need to take a step back and, and look at not just the things that are said, but the things that aren't said. It, it, it strikes me as you, as you go through and you look at this interaction with Elijah who's wrestling with wanting to, his life to end. There's, there's a few things that God didn't say to him. You, you don't see God saying to him, stop whining. 
Right? God could have. God certainly has said that to other people as we, we look at biblical accounts. But he didn't say this to Elijah. In, in his time of crisis, God didn't say to him, stop whining. You know, if you're interacting with somebody, if you're dealing with somebody that has a mental health crisis, someone who's considering suicide, there's certain things you shouldn't say. You know, don't, don't say to them, suck it up, buttercup. Right? Like, you don't, you don't say, stop being a snowflake. You know, or you don't try to cast it into your own situation. You know, well, back in my day, you know, we, we toughed it out, right? Listen, if, if that's what you tell people that are having a crisis, like, please stop. Like, just hush up. The reality is that, that sometimes there, there's room for tough love, but, but this isn't it. Listen, sometimes we have to take a step back. And you shouldn't offer a lecture to someone who just needs a hug. In fact, a great biblical example of this is Job. When, when his counselors came, they actually sat with him in silence for a while. And when I say a while, I don't mean like a few minutes, even a few hours. Job's counselors came and sat with him in silence for seven days. You see, sometimes we need to avoid giving the lectures. God didn't, God didn't say stop whining. God didn't say, go read your Bible. Now, Elijah, okay, he obviously didn't have a lot of the books of the Bible we have, but he had the Torah. He had the, he had the five books of Moses. God could have said, you know, like, go study the, book of Mo, you know, the five books of Moses and, and, and know who I am and, and learn more about me. I'm going to say something that maybe on the surface might sound a little controversial, but sometimes... Sometimes, in some situations, people need more than just the Bible. Now, I believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, the, the doctrinal principle that, that the Bible is sufficient for all of, our, uh, all of our spiritual needs. In fact, the 1689 Baptist Confession says this, The Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. And, and should we point people to, to God's Word? Absolutely. Should we be in God's Word? Absolutely. But there are times when people need more than just go read your Bible. In fact, something else that, that God did not say to him is, oh, go to a biblical counselor. Now again, are, are there situations and times where, where that's a good idea? Absolutely. You know, maybe you're chuckling a little bit and going, okay, there wasn't any biblical counselors back then. But, but again, I, I, I refer you to Job. Job predates Elijah. Job, Job lived many years before Elijah did. And Job had counselors, religious counselors, wise men that came and counseled him. You see, if we just say these things to somebody who's... who's considering suicide, someone who's going through a mental health crisis. We're, we're no better than the, than the people in James chapter 2 that says to somebody who is hungry and cold, stay warm and be fed, and then walking away. 
right? We speak the words, but we don't do anything. And see, God did something. God, God did something as, as Elijah was going through this crisis. If you go back in, into verses 4, it says that Elijah went alone into the wilderness and he was traveling all day. He sat underneath a solitary broom tree and, and prayed that he might die. And in verse 5 it says, he lay down and slept under the broom tree. And you say, hold this a second, what did God do? God let him take a nap. In fact, in fact, if you go through the story, you'll see that not only did God let him take a nap, but he let him take a nap twice and he miraculously gave him food twice. You look at, at, at where it continues on. It says in verse 5 that, that as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and, and told him, get up and eat. And Elijah looked around and there beside his head was some baked bread and, from hot stones and a jar of water and he ate and drank it. But then he laid down again. He took another nap. And so the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more because the journey ahead of you will be too much for you if you don't eat and drink. You see, God, God allowed him to take a nap. God gave him some food. In fact, this may sound like, like a silly quote, but, but I love this quote. It says this. It says, never underestimate the spiritual power of a nap and a snack. Like sometimes, see, sometimes we need to meet people's needs where they are. And rather than just going for the, the spiritual needs, sometimes we have to meet their other needs. In fact, God has designed us this way that we have, we have physical needs, we have emotional needs, we have mental needs. Could God have, have, have challenged him and, and, and lectured him and... and Give him tough love and, and just said, hey, you know, suck it up, get up, get going. Like, you've got a task to do. You're, you're my one and only prophet. Like, you need to go and do these things for me. But God didn't. God addressed his needs where Elijah was at. In fact, not only did, did God... Give, let him have an, a nap and he, he provided him food, but then he gave him a task. Not, not a tusk, a task. Right? God gave him something to do. Like he, he, was, he was charged to go further on the journey. There was things that he had to do. And as you, as you read down through 8, eight and 9, he says that he got up and he, he drank and he ate the food and, 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 and it gave him enough strength. Can you imagine a meal? that gives you enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights. But he had a destination. There was some place that God had sent him to go. But then you see this dialogue. He's on his way. Elijah's on his way. He's doing what God told him to do. But he stops along the way. He takes, he takes a nap. But this time, this time God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah responded, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. 
I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. In fact, if you go down to verse 14, Elijah says the exact same thing. God miraculously sends uh, an earthquake. He sends wind. He sends fire. He sends all these things to him to demonstrate his strength. Then it's interesting that, that God wasn't in any of those things. He wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the fire. But yet after all of that, there is this gentle whisper, it says. Some translations say there is a still, small voice. That was God. That was God speaking. And yet even after experiencing all that stuff, Elijah sticks to his story because in verse 14, he says, he, it says, he replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel broke in their covenant with you, tore, torn down your altars and, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left. I'm the only one left. You see, Elijah was, was struggling. He, he was struggling with fear. He's, he was running away from, from Queen Jezebel. He, he was struggling with, with failure. He, he looked around at the nation of Israel. He looked around at all the evil that was around him. And he said, I give up. But not only that, he was struggling with loneliness. And if there's ever anything that, that is a powerful influence, a powerful reason why someone would consider suicide, it's loneliness. But look at what God says. In verse 18, God says, you know what? I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal. You see, God said through his words and through his actions, he said to Elijah, you are not alone. You are not alone. And you know what? God says that to us today. You are not alone. It doesn't matter where you are, what type of struggle you are going through. God wants you to know you are not alone. So as you consider this, this difficult subject of suicide, whether, whether you're thinking of someone in the past who has committed suicide, you're, whether you're dealing with someone today in the present that, that's going through a mental health crisis, or whether you yourself are the one that's struggling. Listen, God not only provides the comfort of the fact that you are not alone, He is there for you, He is, very, he is there for us, but He gives us hope, real hope. Not, not the kind of hope that the world gives, not the, the, the common use of the word like, I hope my team will win, but biblical hope. Biblical hope is, is the confidence, it's the assurance that God has done great and mighty things in the past, and He will continue to do those things. Just like we sang earlier, He was faithful then. He is faithful now. We have hope. We have hope. Carl Barr said this. He said, though, though no one can go back and make a brand new start, anyone can start now and make a brand new ending. 
You see, looking to the future, focusing on the future, not dwelling on the past, not not being overwhelmed by the, the circumstances of the day, the problems of today. But listen, not only does God promise us and provide us hope, but he actually wants us to be his hope messengers. He wants us to be our, his hope dealers. You see, we're, as a Jesus follower, we have the hope within us. We, we are to be a faith spreader, a love giver, a hope dealer. We, we are to have that influence on those people around us. You see, all these things are contagious. We're, we're, we're constantly bumping into each other in different ways, in different experiences. The question is, what kind of contagious are you? Like, I'll give you an example of, really, probably the greatest example of groupthink that I can, that I can see in Scripture. As Jesus comes into the city of Jerusalem, we call it the triumphant entry. Jesus comes in and they're, they're laying palm leaves and they're, they're bowing down and they're, they're singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, the Messiah has come. But then yet, just a few days later, that same crowd is standing at his feet and they're hollering, crucify him, crucify him. What happened? What changed? Like, were they that fickle? Were they, were they just simply following the Jewish leaders of their day? I would argue that their problem was disappointment. Jesus wasn't the king that they thought he was. Jesus was, was talking about a kingdom that he was going to set up that has eternal impact. They wanted immediate results for their, their circumstances, their situation. And so in their disappointment, they turned. You see, their hope was a false hope. Their hope was not based on the truth. But yet it was contagious. Are, are, you, are you contagious? Are, are you, what, what are you spreading? Hopefully it's not COVID. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're spreading fear. Maybe you're spreading disappointment. Maybe you're spreading discouragement. Listen, fear is contagious, but so is faith. And, and discouragement and disappointment, it, it, it's contagious, but listen, so is love. Worry is contagious, but, but so is hope. Hope is contagious, but it has to be hope in God. Our, our hope is in the Lord who will renew our strength, will soar on wings like eagles, run and not grow weary, will walk and not be faint. Our hope has to be in Him. See, true hope is a living hope. It's not a hope in an event. It's not a hope in a cure. It's the power of a living Savior. Our hope is, is in one who defeated death and sin. He conquered death and sin. And he rose again on the third day to deliver us. Not, not to deliver us from our circumstances, but to deliver us from our sin. 
that is the kind of hope that we should have. See, my hope is not in the government. My, my hope is, is not in, in the doctors or, or, or the lawyers. My hope is not in, it's not even in the spiritual leaders of this world. Our hope should be in the one who spoke all things into being. Our hope should be in the one who is the creator and sustainer of all the universe, the all-powerful and present God. That's who our hope should be. And that kind of hope, that hope looks past circumstances and sees opportunity. That's biblical hope. Do you have it? Are you contagious? Are you a hope dealer? Peter wrote it this way. He said, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You need to have a a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We've been born again if we've made that decision to follow Jesus. And because of that, we have a living hope. Unlike any other religion or, 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 or practice of, of the world. Muhammad is dead. Buddha is dead. Jesus Christ is living. We have a living hope. And, and Peter continues it this way. And just a few verses later, he says, Prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Don't hedge your bets. Don't put some of your hope in this and some of your hope in that. Put all your hope, all of your hope in Jesus Christ and what he can do and what, has, what he has done for you. Listen, just like the physical and and mental and emotional things affect us spiritually, I would say just the opposite is true as well. If we're we're able to resolve that spiritual dilemma, if, if you do not have a relationship with God, let me share with you that that can be corrected because He sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins, for my sins. And he rose again the third day. He defeated death and sin. And by putting our faith and trust in him, we can have a restored relationship with God. If you've never made that decision, this part of the equation doesn't even exist for you yet. You are spiritually dead. But yet, for those of us who have made that decision, we we have another element that has been resurrected. And and we have a spiritual life, a, a connection with God. But yet, if we don't feed that, if we don't grow our faith, if if we aren't saturated in the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, then it can't affect the other areas of our life. But if we do, if we are fully invested in that hope that God gives us, that spiritual influence in our life has a positive effect on all those other things. Listen, following Jesus doesn't guarantee that you're going to physically get better that you're, all, all of a sudden your problems are all going to disappear. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that, that without this part of the equation, you're, you're left with man's solutions. But God's solutions are even better. He's the one that created this. He's the one that, that, that wrote the owner's manual. 
He wants us to be whole and healthy in all of these areas of our lives. Listen, we've all been affected by suicide. Some more recently than others. Maybe some more deeply than others. Some of us are struggling with with memories of people in the past. Some of us are dealing with people that are, that are wrestling with this, this issue right now. And maybe some of you are even contemplating suicide yourself. But listen, God provides an answer. And that answer is hope. That answer is hope in the future. Hope in the present through His Son, Jesus Christ. Listen, if you or someone you know is currently going through some mental health crisis, the first first step in dealing with that is overcoming the fear, overcoming the stigma, and being honest. Let someone know. This quote says that they can't rescue you if they don't know you need it. Ask for help to fight another day. I would be remiss if I didn't provide you some resources. Maybe you want to take a quick snapshot of the, of the screen with your phone, but, but we also we actually have this printed out at the Welcome Center if you want to uh, grab this and, and take this with you. We don't want to be like, those, like the people in James where we just say, you know, stay warm and be fed and then walk away. We, we want to give resources. And, and so there's a, a crisis text line. 741741. There's, there's a, a, a national suicide line and, and there's a special line for veterans there. And in fact, just yesterday, this just became effective. Just like you called 911 for a, a medical emergency or a, a fire or police, you can now call 988. So you don't have to memorize this, this 1-800 number any longer, 988. We have a counselor list. That, like, yes, there are times when, when you want to send people to a biblical counselor. Maybe, maybe you're struggling with some kind of mental health crisis. We have a list of, of, of counselors that we've, we have our trust in. We've sent people to them before. And, and they give sound advice. Just drop an email to, to Gwen. I want to recommend to you three different books, all based on different circumstances of what you might be struggling with when we talk about suicide. The first book is Hope Always, How to Be a Force for Life in a Culture of Suicide. It, it very much is talking about the, ver- the topic that, I, that I'm saying today as far as that we need to be faith spreaders, love givers, and hope dealers. How, how can you be a positive influence on the people around you? But, but maybe, maybe you need this second book. Maybe you have somebody that has committed suicide in your life and you need this encouragement. This next book is Too Soon to Say Goodbye, Healing and Hope for Victims and Survivors of Suicide. Suicide is painful. And this book is a great resource if you, if you are wrestling with that, that pain of having someone you know, a family member, a friend, who's recently committed suicide. 
And then this last book is by John Piper, and it's called When the Darkness Will Not Lift. If you're, if you're struggling with mental health issues, even as a Jesus follower, we can, we can have mental, physical, emotional problems. That book is a great resource. And I would encourage you, go, go through it with someone. Listen, the challenge to us, if we are, if we are in a place where we're, we're healthy, we're healthy spiritually, we're healthy emotionally, then our role is a positive, contagious role. We're to be a faith spreader. We're to be a love giver. We're to be a hope dealer. No matter where you've been, no matter how you've been affected by suicide, you can be an overcomer and you can help others to be overcomers too. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? As I, as I just mentioned, the, the spiritual aspect to this is so important. Yes, we need to meet people's physical and emotional needs. And if you have those and, and you want help, we, we want to point you in the right direction. But listen, the most important thing is, the, is to deal with your spiritual needs. So if you have never made that decision to follow Jesus, if you've never made that decision to accept the free gift of what God has offered you, I want to say to you that the first step towards healing is resolving that issue. Because God created us for a relationship with Him. And so if you've never done that, you can make that decision right now where you're sitting. Those who are watching at home, you can, you can do it on your couch or your kitchen table. You can make that decision to say, God, I, I know I, I, I've fallen short. I know that, that I'm not perfect. But yet I want the free gift that you offer through your Son, Jesus Christ. But if you've made that decision, if you already are a Jesus follower, listen, if you're wrestling with some of these difficult things, there's hope. There's hope in Jesus Christ. And if you're not wrestling through these things, if you're already in a pretty healthy place, then the command from God's word is so clear. We need to be influencing others. We need to be a hope dealer. In just a moment, we're going we're gonna to sing a song of praise. And you know what? It's really, it's really hard to be discouraged. It's really hard to, to be distraught when you're singing praises to the Creator. And so we want to conclude our service with a song of praise. But before we do that, before we do that let's just have a, a word of prayer. Gracious God, God, we come before you. We, we want to honor you and praise you in all that we do. But God, help us to be sensitive to those around us that, that have needs, that, that are going through crisis. Help us not to just speak words and walk away. God, help us to come alongside, to be, be hope dealers, to be positive influences. 
And God, for those that are, are struggling, my prayer this morning for them is that they will have the courage to step forward and ask for help. And God, may we be, may we be ready to provide that help and point them to you. God, we thank you for the, the assurance that we have, the hope, the knowledge, the guarantee that we have in you. And God, we want to praise you and thank you and worship you for that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.